You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Although much of the media is focused on adult and embryonic stem cell research, umbilical cord blood is also rich in stem cells, newborn stem cells, or fetal stem cells, depending on one's perspective. Unlike the hype surrounding its scientific siblings, newborn stem cell transplants are saving lives today. Today we are discussing umbilical cord blood transplantation. In this segment, we'll be focusing on the research being done to improve and increase the therapies offered by umbilical cord blood. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Maury Krauss, founder and chief technology officer of Viacel, a company specializing in cord blood banking and research. Welcome, Maury. Great to be here. We're thrilled to have you on the show. The first question that I have about research, of course, is I think the most pragmatic and clinical aspect of research being done on cord blood stem cells, and that is increasing the number of cells. Now, I know that there are a number of ways that are being looked at to do this. Can you talk a little bit about some of these methods? I think there are at least three. Can you just give us at least a broad overview of these three? There are three basic ways that we work in expanding stem cells, and the reason that this is important is because we want to assure that every cord blood unit is sufficient to treat even the largest adult, and ultimately that a cord blood unit might be used several times or treat several to many members of a family. And we use three different methods today in doing this. We use what is called selective amplification, and this is a process where we remove more mature cells that feed back into the culture and drive stem cells toward differentiation. As you may know, differentiation is a process that leads to these mature cells and ultimately to the death of those cells. It's the stem cell, the renewable stem cell, that we want to continue to produce. And by removing the feedback from the more mature cells, we can get more net increase or yield in stem cell output in uh, ex vivo cultures. And then we have another process we call co-culture, and this is where we use a nursing cell. We grow a lot of uh, these cells on plates and then put the hematopoietic stem cells on top of that lawn, and these cells provide factors in the essential milieu for the stem cell expansion, and we've had some great success with that. And the third way is what we call adherent cultures, and we use adherence as a method of isolating the most pluripotent cell in cord blood, which is called and published under the name of the unrestricted somatic stem cell. And by using adherent properties of these cells, we can isolate them and then grow them in large numbers. Are any of these being put into clinical use so far? We just finished a phase one using selective amplification, and we're planning on doing a phase one in 2008 using the co-culture system. And we're working in a preclinical program in cardiac regeneration repair using the adherent cells. When you talk about phase one, are you making a reference to FDA uh, trials? Yes, I am. So far, you've been talking about just increasing the number of stem cells basically in a Petri dish. Where is the safety concern in that? Because phase one trials are really focused, as I understand it, on safety. Well, you have to be concerned when you're growing cells outside the body that you don't transform them and make cancer cells. And you want to make sure that the cells are as potent as possible 
and that they'll do the function for which you're growing them. We are the only company with a cord blood that does focused research in stem cell expansion and, and R&D with, with clinical trials, et cetera. So we understand the value of these cells therapeutically, and when we expand them, we don't want to lose the value. We want to enhance the therapeutic value, but above all, we want to do no harm. So it's it's necessary, just like with any drug entity that you go through safety trials before you go through phase two efficacy trials. To clarify for our audience, you're actually placing these expanded stem cell lines in patients in your phase one trials. Is that correct? We are expanding these cells outside, ex vivo, outside the body, and then injecting them into patients that have received chemotherapy and radiation for transplant. So you're making sure at the present that they're safe. This does have some clinical utility right now in that you're producing enough cells so that now you're actually testing their safety in in an FDA-approved trial. Yeah, and this is an important point. The field has matured considerably, and there have been over 8,000 transplants in the last 15 to 18 years. We know a lot about using cord blood in a clinical setting, and the next step is to increase the number of cord blood cells to improve the outcomes and be able to treat more patients. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Maury Kraus, founder and chief technology officer of Viacel. Today we are discussing umbilical cord blood transplantation. In this segment, we have been focusing on the research being done to improve and increase the therapies offered by umbilical cord blood transplantation. So can you distinguish for our listeners the amplification or expansion of somatic stem cell lines and the blood cell lines? Is there a difference, or are these techniques of increasing the number of stem cells the same for both types of stem cells? Growing stem cells, one type of stem cell or another type of stem cell can be very, very different, and maintaining the stemness of that cell is quite difficult. So in each of the culture systems we use for the different types of cells, they're very tightly controlled culture systems in terms of growth factors, media time in the culture plates, oxygen tension, et cetera. So we use a variety of different process optimization techniques and process development studies to do the best we can in expanding the cells while maintaining their therapeutic value. The adherent cell cultures where we grow the pluripotent unrestricted somatic stem cells for our cardiac program and cardiac regeneration post-acute myocardial infarction Those cells are grown on large surface area reactors so we can maintain the adherence. And for instance, if you don't harvest them and move them into more surface area over time and those cells essentially reach the walls of their container, they will uh, lose their pluripotency. So that's just one example of ways to maintain stemness in this type of unrestricted somatic stem cell. But that's a somatic stem cell. You don't use that technique for the bloodlines, is that correct? We don't use that technique for the bloodlines. Those are suspension cultures because, as you know, the blood or the bone marrow even is a liquid organ. Hematopoietic stem cells can be generated ex vivo, although it's very easy to lose their hematopoietic stemness based on these feedback inhibitions from other cells, and that's why we try to control the culture system. But your research does concern expanding the blood cell lines as well. Is that selective amplification? Yes. Oh, okay. Selective amplification and the co-culture system. Remember, the co-culture system 
is used to nurse along a population of hematopoietic stem cells. This heart regeneration stuff sounds a little bit 22nd century to me, so it brings up another question immediately, and that is, do you have any research programs about generating nerve cells. Yeah, let me just comment on the 22nd century comment that you made. This is actually very prominent research area right now and clinical trials using stem cells from bone marrow started in 2002 and there's already been dozens of trials around the world and several that have started in the United States in which stem cells from the bone marrow are used from the patient themselves and injected into the area of the infarct. In randomized double-blinded studies, there has been an improvement in what we call the left ventricle ejection fraction or the ability of the heart to pump of about 7%. An improvement of 5 to 10% is the difference between being able to walk up a set of stairs by yourself or go get the mail by yourself. So they're very real improvements. And and, uh, in our program, where we use the unrestricted somatic stem cell as it is, we don't convert it into a cardiomyocyte or a heart muscle cell. We just inject it into the infarct area, into the microenvironment of the heart. And these cells aid in the regeneration of cardiomyocytes and improve the left ventricle ejection fraction in the same way that has been seen in human clinical trials. The difference is this is what we call an allogeneic product. It's an off-the-shelf product that's made to go into patients without having to go through the tedious and morbidity-associated process of harvesting bone marrow from a patient that's had an acute MI. But moving on to the area of neurology and neural stem cells, it's it's very easy to take these unrestricted somatic stem cells and convert them into a variety of different neural cell phenotypes, including glial cells and just about any type of cell from the neural system. And we're presently looking at these in models of ALS and spinal cord injury and a variety of neurological diseases. Well, I have to say, with all the discussion about embryonic stem cells, what strikes me is that newborn stem cells may show perhaps almost as much promise and seem to be a little bit further along. Is that a fair assessment? I think that that is a very fair assessment. You know, as a scientist, I'm very excited about the area of embryonic stem cell research, but realize that the steps that it takes to move from growing embryonic stem cells to making very high-fidelity, purified populations of different cells is an enormous step. We're already using cord blood stem cells in over 40 diseases today, so there's, there's a lot of clinical experience with them. And we know now that they can differentiate into many, if not all, the different cell types. I want to thank Maury Krauss, founder and chief technology officer of Viacel, who has been our guest. We have been discussing umbilical cord blood transplantation. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.